Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Gentlemen and dear listeners, uh, regular listeners and new ones if you're there, to the DOGS program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. We say lots and lots of controversial things in the Australian political environment because defending government schools apparently is a radical position. Um, But less and less so as the years go by, and we'll be talking about this because for a couple of years now, um, private schools... Um, who are government-funded, so they're not actually private schools at all. Um, government-funded private schools, enrolments have been going down. Um, and public schools, that is schools that are open to all, that is schools that don't care what the colour of your skin is, they don't care what your religion is, they don't care what your ethnicity is, because they're public schools, their enrolments are going up. Um, and Jean's going to give us a, a, little, a little taste of, of the numbers involved, but also the ideas that are involved, because parents are now turning away from the private school environment for a number of reasons and she'll be highlighting those in her press release. We'll also be talking about the normal things we talk about, which are, strangely enough, religion. Um, because private schools, the majority of them, of them in Australia, um, well, I don't know, about 25% of kids go to Catholic schools. So, you know, that's, that's a religion. So because they go to Catholic schools, we have to talk about Catholicism. I don't want to. <laughs> I have no particular interest in it. But um, because they take government funds to do it, we, we have to discuss exactly what's going on. And, and it's not just Catholic schools. There's all sorts of religious schools. And at the moment, the federal government is, to my mind, in, in, in immense stupidity, just immensely stupidly involving themselves in theological debates about religious freedom. And there's a really interesting case that's come up um, just recently in the courts, in, in our Australian secular courts, to do with um, religious freedom and schools. And I'd just like to talk our way through it here because I think it just highlights exactly why we as Australians should not concern ourselves uh, with mixing taxpayers' money and theology. Um, I just think those two things should stay apart. We'll be discussing that in detail, and as many regular listeners know, many regular listeners know, um, Jean has some very informed opinions on this. And then, of course, we're going to finish with our great state school, because we always like to finish on a highlight. We like to talk about particular teachers, particular kids in a particular place doing particularly brilliant things in a state school. But before, before we go any further, I'd just like to introduce Jean, as we always do, who has spent the week poring over generating a press release. Press release number, what is it, Jen? 809. 809th press release. Every week, 809 weeks. You can do the maths. Um, Donks has been around for a while. Jen, what's it all about? 
Ah, yes. Press release 809 at www.adogs.info. Public schools are accessible to all. Publicly funded religious schools should now do likewise. The major features which distinguish religious from public schools, apart from their marketisation of education as a commodity and expensive infrastructure, is their ability to choose the children and the parents they permit inside their gates. For these institutions are gated schools. The principle of choice is their prerogative and not that of the children that enter those gates. Their business model depends upon the principle of exclusiveness and exclusion of those who do not fit their peculiar profile. This lies behind their independence brand, except that these institutions are not independent of taxpayer funding. Far from it. And with the downturn in the economy, there is a correspondence downturn in their enrolments. We are told that private school enrolments have slumped as parents feel the economic pinch. And Robert will be telling you a lot of the details of this uh, because it's a very interesting um, information that's come into the uh, papers in the last week. But some mainly in the middle fee-charging range, are being forced into debt. These are private schools going into debt to keep up with the, quote, independent Joneses. However, there are some in Australia that are questioning this exclusiveness. The dogs are not alone. And we've discovered in the last week a very strange bedfellow. The Hindu Council of Australia has questioned the exclusiveness of religious schools. It is the exclusiveness of many of these exclusionists, let's forget about there being genuinely religious schools, that is under question from minority religious groups unable to get a slice of the education cake for themselves. We are told that this Hindu Council of Australia has proposed that faith-based schools be required to enrol a certain percentage of students from other faiths. Now, this how do we know this? We know it. Actually, I found it out from the independent school website because they're a bit concerned about it. Because the council has put in a submission to the Australian Law Reform Commission and calls for the Australian Law Reform Commission to expand the scope of its religious exemptions review so that it includes the religious rights of other faith believers as well as of non-believers. This is the Hindu Council. It says the review should consider whether faith-based organisations, including schools, should be required to publish their policy related to the enrolment of students and the hiring of employees, contractors and suppliers of other faiths. It wants such organisations to explicitly inform those of other faiths that their participation in religious services is optional that non-participation will not be viewed negatively and they won't be coerced to change their religion. 
The Hindu Council of Australia proposes that faith-based schools and employers be required to admit a certain percentage of students, employees and teachers of other faiths so that students, while learning about their own religion, do not grow without contact with students and people of other faiths, cultures, orientation, that would be a sexual orientation, and backgrounds. The submission says that as long as the organisation works within constraints such as these, it should have the, quote, freedom to profess, teach and practise their faith within the institute. No faith-based institution, it says, should ever be forced to use resources, quote, in any way to promote, encourage or propagate teachings that are against teachings and belief of that faith. But the Council Vice-President, Surinda Jane, told The Age, for example, that children in religious schools were growing up without meeting people of a different religion. That is correct. That is what concerns the dogs. It is in fact socially divisive to separate out children on the basis of their religious faith. Fortunately for the growing members of the Australian Hindu community, Australian public schools are open to their children and they are in our schools and they are welcome in our public schools. Uh, my, grand, my grandson has a, a little boy of Hindu background as one of his best friends. And these children mix with children of all religions, race, culture and gender. And the reason our, our Australian society is as multicultural and extensive and non-exclusionist as it is, is because of our public schools because our religious schools have fractured our multicultural society to the detriment of that society, and it is a tragedy if the children of Hindu belief were also separated out. Meanwhile, the concerns of the Hindu Council of Australia reflect an economic reality which has long since undermined private school rhetoric because taxpayers are now substantially paying for both capital and running costs of many private exclusionist schools. And it's time they were open to all children and became public schools. So that is the um, press release for today, 8.09. And um, I think that it's very interesting development that the Hindu Council of Australia should be saying what the dogs have been saying for years. Oh, my goodness, yes. I think it's fascinating. Um, you listen to the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. We talk about ed- educational issues, and today we're going to be talking about two things. We're talking about money, and we're going to be talking about God. Um, money's a reasonably obvious one when it comes to talking about education in Australia, but unfortunately we have to sit here and discuss various forms of, of God. Um, we've been talking about how people of Hindu... Um, who people who believe in in the God many or gods. many gods of the Hindu religion, and I'm not saying this disrespectfully. I mean, a, a belief is a belief is a belief, um, and to be respected um, by us and anyone, actually, quite frankly. Um, but they're saying that um, they want to be able to 
to, to, to send do... Send their children to school. Well, send their children to school. Um, Without uh, offence. Indeed. Um, so off to a state school they go. Um, we'll be talking a little bit more about this, um, both the money and the God bits, I think after a little bit of Schubert. I think Schubert's going to calm me down before, before the storm because we'll be discussing certainly the fallen enrolments because money has now become a very big question for many parents around Australia. But anyway, let's have some Schubert. Welcome back to the Dr. Frank. That, that was some Schubert. Um, I do apologise. That was intended to calm you down, but I, I'm, I'm all excited now. I do like a bit of Schubert piano, although he does go on a bit. Um, so having said that, I'm about to go on a bit. 
because Jean was talking about how private school enrolments are actually slumping across Australia. Um, there's a couple of reasons for this, uh, one of which is just M-O-N-E-Y, money, easy to worth it. Um, the answer, of course, is no. It's a straight-up no. Every time someone asks me, and I do get asked a lot, what school should I send my child to? Because often we sit here in dogs and talk about the school system and the children and what is good for them. But every now and then there's a discussion about, hang on, that's great, dogs, but what about my child? <laughs> yeah, what about my kid? Um, well, I, my, my advice is always the same when it comes to money. So work out the most expensive private school you can send your child to. Okay, work out how much you love your child because often people who send their children to private school say, well, of course, I love my child very much, so I spend all this money on them to send them to a private school. I say, well, good. You work out how much you love your child and is within your budget and find the most expensive private school that you can send your child to and then send them to the local state school and put that money in the bank. If you do that for 12 years, which is the standard length of education in Australia, 13 in other countries, but we've got, you know, prep to year 12, um, you'll end up with anything between $400,000 and $700,000 in the bank account with your child's name on it. So by the time they finish their secondary schooling at year 12, if, if, if that is their intention, or it could be VET, it could be anything really, everyone's child is different and um, I wouldn't want to presume. But certainly education will be of value to them, I can say that to start with. Um, there you go. There's, there's a five-year uni degree paid for up front. Or there's, a, or, or there's a house that they can live in because you're probably sick of them because they've turned 18. Or they're setting them up, you can set themselves up, you can help them set themselves up in business um, if they wish to be entrepreneurial at that point and mix study and work and do all those sort of things. But that money will be next to their name in a bank account. So that's our financial advice. And it seems that more and more um, parents around Australia are now taking my advice because private school enrolments are slumped. And it's not just me saying it. It's Adam Carey um, in the new Channel 9-based sort of old Fairfax paper in The Age. He says private schools have actually now been hit by a drop in enrolment. It's not just this year. It's now over several years. It's a trend. Not the really, really expensive ones. Not well, the top, because the wealthy have always been up to pay and they really don't need any taxpayers' money anyway. They're um, so well endowed. Thank you, Jean. Well, Adam Carey agrees with you. Your, your opinion is backed up by facts. Uh, because private schools have actually now been hit by a drop in enrolment, according to Aaron, Adam Carey, I should say, forcing some to take on debt um, to compete for students. The school now needs to go into debt to compete for the inverted commas good students. As parents squeezed by rising costs and sluggish wage growth opt for, guess what, the public system. The proportion of children in government schools grew in 2017 and 2018, and census data shows that um, this actually ends a run that stretches back to 1970. In 1970, kids have been leaked from the public school system to the private school system because our taxpayers' funding has gone before them. Um, But that's been going on since 1970, but now that's turning around in 2019. It's very interesting because my memory of the uh, Schools Commission days was that the money was being poured into the private schools to stop the leakage to the public system, which went up to 70%. uh, 78% of our children were in public schools, which was tremendous. Uh, That that generation actually learned to live together pretty well. And then uh, there's been the billions and billions and billions of taxpayers' money to try to expand the market system. 
since the 1980s and it went down to about two-thirds. Uh, the the enrolment of the public system went down considerably in the 90s, thanks to Mr Howard's government and since then. However, it's now bouncing back. Uh, so for all of this time, listeners, we have to remember that two-thirds of Australian children for the last few generations have always been in public schools and that is the majority of our children. And the Liberal Party constantly seem to just forget these children conveniently. Six, two-thirds of our children. Well, forgetting about them seems to get them into government, um, which is, to me, a sort of extraordinary and sad thing. Um, Yes, yes, everything you say is true. That was 40 years ago. Um, I'm talking about now. Mm, yes. Now it's Change different. Going back. Mm. Um, and it's not me saying this, it's the ANZ, because the ANZ are in the process of lending people money and they want to make sure that what the landscape is they're lending into for home loans and such like, because school fees pay a significant, play a significant part in household budgets for those people who can afford to send their children to private schools. So the ANZ has revealed that it's the mid-tier private schools which charge between $10,000 and $20,000 a year per student in tuition fees that have, in fact, been the most affected by this shift. The enrolment numbers at schools within this range has actually declined by one percentage point in the past two years, including um, a 0.6 percentage point slump last year. So it's accelerating. That was 0.4, now 0.6. So the flight from the mid-tier private schools, the $10,000 to $20,000 fee range, um, is where this, this, this slump is happening. The low-fee schools that charge less than 10000 a year and the top schools that charge more than $20,000 a year, sometimes up to 35000 have been less affected by the drift back to the public system, but they've still been affected by just, just, just under half a percentage point. Now, this doesn't surprise me at all. So last year, I just want to talk about numbers because I think this is interesting. Last year, the rate of growth of 0.3% was the slowest in five years for total enrolments, according to the ANZ Industries Report, which is entitled Non-Government Schools, the Haves and the Have-Nots. It's interesting when you get to financial reports, they, they, they don't pull their punches. They say, no, no, there's a schools for the haves and there's a schools for the have-nots, and we're going to write a report about it because we want to know what the shift is. Oh, yeah, no, financial people don't muck around with, with, with morality the way, <laughs> and, and rhetoric like the way the private school people do, talking about choice and, and freedom. No, those go, no, haves and have-nots, that's what's going on. Oh, by the way, this report, the haves and the have-nots, non-government schools, is a report written in Australia. Okay, we are supposed to be egalitarian, but obviously that's 40 years ago too, Jane. Um, now, the slowdown in enrolment in private schools... Um, has actually coincided with a period where the cost of living has actually outpaced wage growth in Australia. So the whole idea of people getting less money and things costing more and private schools not enrolling kids as much, these all things go together. And the gig economy and the hollowing out of the manufacturing industry and a strange two-tier economy, which is really very unhealthy. Yes, it all, it all ties in, doesn't it? Very interesting. Yep. Um, it does. Now, the report's author, the banker, his name's Tim. Yeah, hey, Tim, how are you going out there if you're listening? Um, Tim Suffield, who's the director of the ANZ's Clients Insights and Solutions. Oh, my goodness, that's his job, Client Insight and Solution. Anyway, anyway he said um, some mid-tier private schools were going backwards. They're facing increasing pressure as their student enrolments decline and their ability to increase fees is limited. 
Schools in this position are under pressure to take, off, to take on debt to fulfil parents' expectations for school facilities and programs. Now, who do you go if we're going to take on debt? The ANZ Bank. They say, oh, no, we're not going to lend you any money because you're on a hiding to nothing. Like Acacia College up at Boondock. Yeah, there's well, quite a few of them have gone bankrupt, these schools. Yes, they have indeed. And they've been, you know, Their business yeah. plan just didn't quite add up. Well, I think the very sad thing is that every time a, a mid-tier private school goes bankrupt, and they do reasonably regularly... Um, it affects the children. Oh, well, no, you, you get tearful parents saying the government should do something. I've sent my child to a school where I've, I've separated them out from all the poor children, and then they cry and say, this is terrible, the government should do something because my school's a really good school and just because. But the government has already done something. It's put billions into these places. Indeed. Now, private schools have fared differently, of course, when faced with increasing competition. Um, now, low-fee schools, however... Um, which many of whom are within the Catholic sector aren't doing. They're not doing as well as they used to, but they're certainly not doing as well as they did before. Um, but it's the high fee. It's the high fee ones. It's the MLCs and the PLCs and the Yarra Valley Grammars and the Scots Colleges. They're just fine. fine. They don't give a damn. They never did. In fact, they don't even need our money. They take it anyway. So Scots College takes $6 million per year from the taxpayer to do what it does at Scots College. That's my money. That's your money. They do that anyway. Um, they don't really need it because the kids, the parents are paying $35,000. And just to remind you, how much does it cost to give a gold standard education to a child in Australia of above average or normal intelligence who doesn't have a disability or an emotional disturbance of any sort? About thirteen dollars to $15,000 a year gives them a gold standard. We know this. Parental fees for Scots College, $35,000. What are they doing with our money? Anyway, they don't care. Uh, their enrolments are fine. They're, they've got waiting lists. If you want to get a child into there, um, book them into the school before you decide to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Basically is the only way you're going to be doing it, unless, of course, you have the connections. Now, it's the connections. It's this idea, well, I'm not paying for a better education. I'm paying for a network. I'm paying for a social set. This has been one of the biggest selling points of the high to mid-tier schools in Australia for generations. And what I'm about to tell you, after we listen to a little bit more Schubert, hopefully the Schubert won't be quite so exciting, um, <laughs> after we listen to some, some, some more Schubert, I want to tell you something because the whole network thing in the 21st century, I have to tell you, it ain't what it used to be, and I can prove it to you. But you have to wait for some Schubert before I do. See you on the other side.
nicer, isn't it? A little Schubert quartet there, rather than an excitable piano. We're having a Schubert day today, today, which is really great. Now, I was promising on the other side to talk about how the fact that the old school tie network ain't what it used to be. That's because the old school tie network ain't what it used to be. Um, There's been an interesting study there, because most private schools will boast about how influential their alumni networks are in ensuring students are gainfully employed after they leave the school. This is a thing. I mean, I have, I have some very, very good Orthodox Jewish friends who sent themselves, who sent their children to the Methodist Ladies College, and the kids said, "Oh, we didn't go here for the education; we came here for the networks. That's what the money was for." Um, and this is back in the 80s, because I'm old, um, and there was a sense that that was true. But um, I can tell you, each of those people who I know personally have not benefited from those networks. They benefited from the education. Um, which I cannot deny was, was good. You can't deny that smart kids do well at school, and my, my, my mates were smart. Um, but they didn't benefit from the networks. But this, this is an idea. This, this is a sort of perceived value thing that parents often have. Now, this is often combined with the belief it's not what you know, it's who you know. And there's a major reason, of course, why many parents in Australia, who can afford it, choose to send their children to private schools. But... Are there really advantages to being part of an elite network in 2019? When so many people go to the university anyway. Well, it's not not even that. Just imagine this. Imagine this, Jean. Two guests at a dinner party realise they went to the same private school. The old school tie connections often come up in social settings. But these days, that's not something you would necessarily make a big deal out of it fearing that everyone else at the dinner table would go, oh, yeah, really? That's nice. Who cares? Because here in Australia, of course, we have the the legacy of the tall poppy syndrome. But if they were at a professional networking event or seeking new career opportunities, perhaps the old school Thai network would be at the forefront of the conversation then. Well, Catherine Feeney, speaking to ABC Radio up in Brisbane, um, has a different point of view. She says, I think the private school advantage stands up to a certain extent. And our education is a connector and an enabler, but it's also a discriminator and a blocker. So depending on who the listener or is or the reader of your CV is, then experience, their experience and their perception may not necessarily benefit someone who went to an elite private school. It might not necessarily be an advantage. In fact, it could also be a disadvantage. It really depends on the reader or the person that you're connecting with at some networking event. Now, Ms Marshall went on to say that the so-called mid-tier private schools, you see, this is now a thing. The, not the elite, but the mid-tier private schools. Um, the one that she went to, she said, was a Catholic girls' school in Brisbane, which she said had almost no impact on her career prospects, but she acknowledged that the elite culture does exist in some places in the city. She says, even as close as 20 years ago, there was definitely a culture in Brisbane, she said, where employers and business people were connecting. And if you went to one of the top tier schools, it was a definite advantage 20 years ago. But she said, I will also caveat that by saying it may not be the advantage it was made out to be. She said, the advancement of technology, allowing people to extend their connections well beyond their high school networks, is a factor. Social media, 
LinkedIn has made research and preparation stage of job interviews much easier for job seekers who now have the ability to find other things in common than just what school you went to with people that they wish to impress so they can get a job. But she says those who have been to private school could often connect more easily with their potential employer depending on the industry, because this is now different strokes for different folks in different jobs. In a professional environment, sometimes having that conversation point is more important because they're trying to engage with someone for a reason. And when trying to engage with someone for a job, just finding any common ground is useful. So I went to this school, um, it can be part of the conversation. But with so many other potential touch points now in a social media rich world, it's much less so. Now, currently, in a certain generation of our chief executives in Australia, two-thirds went to private schools. And there is a great education divide that's well publicised within that. But Jenny Chesters, a research fellow at the Youth Research Centre at Melbourne University, said there is no strong evidence to support a link between private schools and better career prospects anymore in 2019. There's no link. Well, CEOs are over 50, and so that's a certain generation that was educated 20, 30, 40 years ago. But now, in 2019, going forward, this is not the advantage it was. Now, Dr Chester says there's anecdotal evidence to support strong alumni networks delivering better career prospects, but it's all anecdotal. There's no research. People talk about, well, I got this job... Of, you know, because of who I know. But then that also undermines the social mobility perspective of who you know. It's a meritocracy, and if you're good enough, you'll do well enough. Now, that's the, that's the same thing as saying, well, I'm, I'm a mechanic because my uncle was a mechanic and he got me a job. I mean, there is involved in that. But in, in this world, those pathways to permanent employment for, for, for a lifetime just don't exist. I mean, I can't... If, if you're out there listening and you're under 30 and you've had one job for your life up until this point, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> it just hasn't happened. Even if it's, you know, not just one job, if you've worked in one sector exclusively, I'll be very, very surprised. But if we're relying on social networks to get a job, that's what young people have to rely on. Then there are going to be a whole lot of people who aren't going to have very good employment outcomes because they're not in the right social networks. So getting in the right social networks online in a technology-rich environment is what's going to be more important than what school your parents paid to let you go to. And do you know what? Australians aren't stupid. And I'm connecting this back to the fact that there is, in fact, now a slump in mid-tier private schools because they ain't worth the money. Anyway, I'm going to have a few messages now because we're part of 3CR. We're a community radio and we like to share the good news about what else is going on within the community of the 3C. Come to a very special evening of music, dance and dinner. Joy of Freedom, Pacific Voices Sing Out for West Papua. Celebrate the launch of the CD Joy of Freedom on Saturday the 21st of September from 6pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Entry is $15 and includes dinner. Performers include the Chendrawasi Dancers, Pacifica Victoria Choir, Corianne, the Black Sisters, Black Orchid String Band, Izzy Brown from Combat Wombat, and Tatame and the Neighbours, because music is our weapon. More information at Facebook event Joy of Freedom, a 3CR supporter.
From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter. Ah, welcome back to the Dogs Program. Yeah, best Papua. Don't forget, never forget. Why do, why, do we, why do Australians enjoy forgetting things? Like we enjoy not knowing about what's going on at Manus Island because it's too much trouble. We enjoy not knowing what's going on in West Papua. Yeah. Yeah, we think we're good, but sometimes we forget. But not here at 3CR. You're listening to the Dogs Program, the defenders of government schools who also support people in West Papua, because that's the way it is here. We all support each other. Um, I've been talking about money, and uh, up to the Dogs pro- up, up up till now in the Dogs Program, and now I want to talk about the other thing I promised I'd talk about, which is a bit awkward. Um, I'm going to talk about God. And unfortunately, because there's been a court case brought in a little place called Ballarat, just here in Victoria, probably an extraordinary court case, probably set precedents around the world, because finally we're going to find out whose God is best. We're going to find it out. And do you know who's going to decide? It's going to be VCAT. VCAT are going to decide definitively which of the Christian points of view is the correct one. Because we have some politicians who I think are mindlessly stupid enough to put the whole idea of religious discrimination and religious freedom into law. Now, there have over the centuries been many, 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 many wars about this. You know, there was the wars of religion, there was the Protestant movement, there's all these things that have been going on all around the world. But it's all come down to someone sitting on behind a... Well, actually, they sit on a nice comfortable chair behind a nice big table at the Victorian Civil and Administrative Appeals Tribunal. After all the bloodletting of 400 years, finally in the 18th century they worked out that you separate out matters of conscience and matters of power. You separate state and religion. And now we are going right back into the mess. That's right. And we're putting it in the hands of um, a decider at VCAT in here in Victoria. Now, you might think I'm being facetious um, by the tone of my voice. That's probably a reasonable assumption. But functionally, that's what's happened. Can I explain? I think this is fascinating. This is all about a woman called Rachel Colvin. Rachel Colvin is a Christian, and Rachel Colvin has very sincere beliefs. And she believes, as part of her, her, her Christian religion, that the LB, sorry, LGBTQI plus community should not be discriminated against and that they should, in fact, uh, be allowed to marry because that's Australian law and that there should be no discrimination against them in, in, in the context of Australian civil and civic society. That is her belief. Now, she is a teacher, Rachel Colvin, and then that is her sincere and she professes this religion openly. And she works at a place called the Ballarat Christian College. Now, Rachel Colvin has these beliefs and she works at this Christian college and she's launched a groundbreaking discrimination complaint just this week 
against the non-denominational Christian college because she would not agree to the school's amended statement of faith saying that, and I quote, a marriage can only be between a male and a female. Now, the Ballarat Christian College also has a very sincere belief. And it is a very sincere Christian belief that they profess, and that is that a marriage can only be between a male and a female. Now, that is against or contrary to, that belief um, is contrary to Australian law, and to profess it, I think they have every right to do so. I really do. I think if someone comes along and says something that I don't agree with, they have every right to say it, and I have every, every right to discuss it with them. In the context of the Australian civil and civic society, um, two people of the same sex can be married. That's, that's just law now. That's just the way it is. Um, and so, therefore, that belief is contrary to Australian law, but it's still a professed belief. I mean, no one's, you know, that, that's just the way it is. And, and respect. And quite frankly, um, I have to, because I live in a, a pluralist society, respect both beliefs. Respect them equally, but not agree with them equally. <laughs> anyway, Rachel says, I'm bringing the case to let my LGBTQI plus students students in the school, know that they aren't deformed and these students aren't disordered. That they, these students, her students, in this school were created as they are. They are created in the image of God, she says, and they are fully loved by God and share equal dignity with all human beings. And that's what she has stated. She says, I am devastated by what happened to me. I loved my job. I'm an extremely hard worker and loyal to a fault, she says. And to have it end this way was, at first, professionally humiliating. Now, Colvin lodged her complaint with VCAT, the Victorian Civil and Administrative Appeals Tribunal, on Monday, and alleged that from around August 2018, in the shadow of the National Marriage Postal Survey, she was informed by her employer, the Ballarat Christian College, that she would no longer be offered certain teaching and professional development opportunities at that school. She had previously an unblemished, completely unblemished teaching record with the Ballarat Christian College, and she alleges she was counselled and then forced to resign when she refused to agree to, to abide by an amended statement of faith, which was contrary to her own religious beliefs. She offered to remain silent about her beliefs, that same-sex marriage has the same validity as heterosexual marriage. She said, well, I will hold my beliefs dear to myself, but I will also hold my tongue, she said. But the Ballarat Christian College forced her to resign February this year. Now, Colvin, as is obvious, is a committed Christian. She has religious beliefs, and those religious beliefs are contrary to the religious beliefs of her employer. Now, she said, I see it slightly differently. I see it as a God-given opportunity to stand up for what is right, she says, to represent what God is really about, which is loving others. So this is the, these are very significant and to be respected statements of faith. Now, under the Victorian Equal Opportunities Act of 2010, there are protections from discrimination on the basis of religion and political belief, but also broad religious exemptions which currently allow religious organisations and individuals to lawfully discriminate on the basis of religion, or on the basis of sexual orientation, or on the basis of gender, or on, or, or, or on many other grounds. So religious organisations have had these exemptions all this time. So anyone who jumps up and down about saying it's not right, well, 
it's been not right since 2010 at least. In fact, before then it, was, it wasn't right either. Now, the Equality Australia group has praised Colvin for her stance. Um, I'm not going to go into the rest of what um, Rachel says. I think we've established the basic facts. We have a school, Ballarat Christian College, that has a religious belief which is sincere and they sacked their teacher for having a religious belief that was sincere. The federal government are now in the process <laughs> since the Falau case. Remember Israel Falau? Israel Falau was a committed Christian who expressed a religious belief which was contrary to his employment agreement, which wasn't, which was with Rugby Australia, which had nothing to do with religion. They said, no, you can't go around being rude to people um, just because of their sexual orientation. So they sacked him. So in this case, Rachel Colvin is the sackee. Okay, she's been sacked because she has religious beliefs which are contrary to beliefs of her employer. But the employer also has sincere religious beliefs. So at a certain point, someone in the VCAT tribunal has to decide whose religious beliefs, religious beliefs A or religious beliefs B, have primacy. In fact, are the most important. In fact, it gets to the simple question of whose God is the right one. This is a theological question. And quite frankly, from the dog's perspective, or from my perspective, VCAT shouldn't be deciding this. This is not a business of the tribunal. This is not a business of the judge. This is not a business of a magistrate. This is not a business of... It's not my business. Now, why am I so... Con- why am I getting all up and tight about this? The answer is, I pay her wages. I'm a taxpayer. I pay her wages. Ballarat Christian College is funded by me. It's funded by you. We pay for this college. Now, if this college were a private members club or something like that, took no taxpayers' money and they were, you know, for instance, if, if it was a group of people who were not involved in education but, were, for instance, were involved in having a women's only safe space and so therefore men weren't allowed into it, but they weren't taking taxpayers' money, they were doing their thing, I think that's fine. I, well, of course it's fine. That's the sort of discrimination I think is very positive. But um, as soon as you start taking taxpayers' money for stuff like that, you say, well, what's all this about? Um, I think there's one exception in terms of discrimination legislation, and I think it is in the concept of Australia. I think the Indigenous population, if they take taxpayers' money, they can discriminate as much as they like. Do you know why? It's war reparations, quite frankly. Um, we owe, and we owe war reparations, and we give them the money, it's, it's theirs to do what they like. So if Indigenous people want to discriminate against people who aren't like them, go for their lives in the Australian context, as far as I'm concerned. But Ballarat Christian College, if you want to sack someone because of their religious faith, and you're paying this person with money I gave you, because I'm a taxpayer, that's not right. But if you want to go and be truly independent, um, you know, I, I, think there's, I think there's an argument for that. I mean, I don't want to go into, a, for instance, a mosque and shout about how bad their God is or something like that. that that's not respectful. I certainly don't want to go into a church and start screaming at people for believing the wrong thing. I don't care what denomination it is. But these two religious people who have slightly different, and I think I'm sure Ballarat Christian College and Rachel Colvin would agree on many, many things, so there is a slight difference in the flavour and colour of their religious beliefs, Taking it to VCAT is just a waste of everyone's time and money. It's all a bit crazy. 
So that's my point of view. I know Jean's being very quiet here at the moment. <laughs> so I know she'd like to say something and probably has a different perspective on it. But no. I find it I, I find it extraordinary. No, no, no. I think it is I think it is a tragedy, a tragedy for the religious people that what is the most fundamental of human rights, namely the freedom of conscience, is now in a mere tribunal when we have a section 116 of our constitution which was such a very powerful human rights cause. However, our government can uh, bring in legislation concerning religion because they are uh, a signatory to international uh, human rights uh, requirements. Yep, yep, absolutely. So I think, I so think hopefully they'll back off from this and go, oh my goodness, I don't want to get involved. There were wars of religion fought over this. I don't but think that they're that I'd sensible, like to, Robert. I, I'd like to talk about something now completely different, something opposite to what's going on between these two religious people and taking their, 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 their causes to Vika. I want to talk about something which is the opposite of discrimination, which is in fact a great state school. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Yeah, I'm going to talk about a school today that isn't precious about doing stuff, but does something that is truly precious, which is the Glenroy, up there in the north, the Glenroy Specialist School. Now, it's one of four schools in Victoria. It's a state school. It's open to all, but it's open to a particular type of all. It has 130 students that range from, from five years old to 18 years old who have multiple disabilities, physical health concerns, emotional disabilities, or indeed uh, mental disabilities of one form or another. The student population is drawn from across northern and western suburbs of Melbourne, and there's a fleet of 20 buses transporting students to and from the school every day. 
It's actually now housed in a world-class facility that's designed by architects and it works closely with, of course, the school community and the parents. The support and specific learning and care needs for the students is what it's all about. It features natural light, wide space, specialist learning areas. There are 21 classes, an average size of six, because, you know, kids that are five and kids that are 18 with multiple learning disabilities. So, so not just, I'm in a wheelchair. No, this is multiple learning disabilities. Now, these schools don't get a look in when it comes to what I was talking about before. This is what state schools do the best, without question. It's divided, of course, into junior, middle and senior sub-schools and has, as I say, 21 classes across those. Now, each student is taught. Okay, each student is taught in the school. They have their own goals set. They have their own individual learning plans, which are formulated and reviewed regularly. It does, in fact, have a specific curriculum profile which has been developed by the school itself with, of course, the Victorian curriculum and foundation-level outcomes. And so they, 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 they integrate with the curriculum in general, but they do it in their own way because this is what state schools do best. For me, taxpayers' money at work. No one's talking about the flavour of, flavor of belief here. It's the kids on the ground in the space. Now, of course, there's 14 speech pathologists occupational therapists, physiotherapists, and there's three nurses in the school. Okay, and they, work in, in, and they work in combination with all these people. So teachers, occupational therapists, speech pathologists, physiotherapists, support staff, and nurses all work together with that child, with your child, to give them the best age-appropriate and challenging, and this is the bit, challenging learning. Each child is challenged to learn something for themselves every day. You're not turning up for childminding in this place. You're turning up so that you can become the best that you can be, which is what a school should be for all kids, but especially for children like this. And to do this, they don't just sort of put all the kids in the school and lock them up. No. They actually have partnerships with various communities all around the world, links with early intervention, vocational and futures of young people. They work with businesses around the local area. They enhance transitions between going to school and getting a job. So it's, it's not just out you go, see you later. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what it works. How much does it cost? Well, you know, before I say that, they actually have very close things with the Royal Children's Hospital medical staff as well. <laughs> like they're pulling in all these resources. It costs $71,000 per child per year. And do you know what? Is that a lot of money? Yep. Is it worth it? Yep. Because we live in a civilised society. And when it comes to truly civilised education, the state school system is the only system that can provide civilised education. You've been listening to the Docs Program here on 855 on AM Dial or podcast on the WWs. If you disagree with me, please call up 94198377 and have a go. Um, but please, please don't be rude to the reception staff. But if you happen to know a good or great state school, let me know and I'll do some research on it and put it on air for you as well. We are the dogs. If you want to know about us, you can check us out at our website, www.adogs.info. But from Jean and myself, we have to come next week because government schools still need defending. Until next week, it's bye for now. <laughs> Saw Joe Hill last night alive.
but Joe here ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize. It's there you find your hill. It's there you find. special evening of music, dance and dinner. Joy of Freedom, Pacific Voices Sing Out for West Papua. Celebrate the launch of the CD Joy of Freedom on Saturday the 21st of September from 6pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Entry is $15 and includes dinner. Performers include the Chendrawasi Dancers, Pacifica Victoria Choir, Corianne, the Black Sisters, Black Orchid String Band, Izzy Brown from Combat Wombat, and Tatame and the Neighbours, because music is our weapon. More information at Facebook event Joy of Freedom, a 3CR supporter. Freedom to West Papua. 